as um, lockdown restrictions ease, as we are slowly getting through, uh, Lord willing, at some point in the summer, we'll almost feel maybe semi-normal in some ways, I think we're going to have new choices to make. And we shouldn't be naive to think that things will just go back to normal, whatever that was, um, because that's just not going to happen. We've lived a year of being of living our lives and being discipled in a very kind of different way than we have in the past, and that changes who we are. It would be naive to think <clears throat> that we can just you know, go back to what things were like a year ago. But we could, with any disruption, there are positives and there are negatives. And with all the negatives that we've experienced, all the hazards, there is an opportunity. In, in, in a big disruption like this, there is an opportunity to reset a bit. Opportunities for a reset in life really are few and far between. We don't really get those opportunities, and especially like globally, we, we don't get those opportunities. Uh, and so I don't want us as a church to have that pass us by. I don't want myself to kind of miss out on what God might be doing there. And that's one main reason why we're getting into Colossians now in this moment. Like There's a reason why we're picking this book to go through now, this letter. Uh, and really, change is going to come whether we kind of want to or not. It's just kind of how it's going to be. So we are always faced with this question of are we going to, how are we going to respond to this change? Um, but all the more as the pandemic gets left behind, and Lord willing it will, um, there's this question, what kind of humans do we want to be? Who do we really want to be? If you could start over and do it again, what would you do? Wherever you are. I mean, that's the glory of a reset. You get the opportunity to do that a little bit. So if you, what would you tell yourself 10 years ago? If you could say, you know what? Stop doing this. Start doing this. I promise you it's going to be great. Ten year, your 10-year-ago self. What would your 10-year-ago in the future self be saying to you now? Of like, you know what? That's dumb. This is great. Don't spend time on that. Spend time on this. It's going to be great, I promise. Like, what, what, what does that look like for you? I guess really the question is, what is, what might be uh, Jesus inviting you into through all this? What is Jesus inviting you to through all this? Because this is more than a difficult circumstance. This is an invitation from God. And the reason why we're going through Colossians is a little bit of that tagline, walking with Jesus in all of life. And as all of life becomes to be a little bit more normal, we want to be kind of well prepared to interact with all of life again. And all of life means all of it, not just the convenient parts. And we will talk about all of Jesus. Um, That's mostly the first half of the letter. And we'll also talk about all of life. That's mostly the second half of the letter. And all kind of gets to this big idea of what kind of human do you want to be? What is Jesus inviting you into? A little background of this before we dive into the actual words, the background of where where these words are coming from. So Paul wrote this uh, letter to a church in a city called Colossae, which is in present-day Turkey. Uh, Colossae wasn't large. It wasn't a terribly important town. But there was a church there. Paul did not plant that church. The man Epaphras did, who comes up in here. Um, Paul never visited Colossae. And so he's kind of doing like a physical distancing, pastoring before, you know, physical distancing was ever a thing. Paul's writing a letter to this church that he didn't plant, that he didn't visit, in order to encourage them and tell them how to work, tell them how to live. So he's leading through a physical distancing here that might be kind of like our time now. Um, Colossae was a newish church. Sounds familiar for us. And in that place, in that church, they were outside pressures that I think are very similar to us today. So there were outside pressures of spiritual mysticism, uh, of believing in the spiritual world, but not necessarily rooted in one particular thing, but lots of things, which seems tolerant until you don't believe in the same things, and then you realize it's actually not tolerant at all. 
and there was, so that's, it can come across a bit narrow-minded. Uh, there was also a pressure from fundamentalism there too, like within the church. So fundamentalism is an obsession with the law first, uh, of doing the right things done in a very specific and narrow-minded way. So you have very religious people and irreligious people, people who wouldn't identify as being religious, both of them having pressures on this little small church. And Paul teaches that Christians giving into either is compromise. It's given to either side of that, the fundamentalism, the religious kindness, or the mysticism, the irreligiousness, to give into either one of those sides is compromise. We aren't called to be religious. We're not called to be irreligious. We're called to something more, to be devoted to one person, which is a relationship, and that's very different than religion or irreligion. And as we'll see in this letter, that devotion has always been scandalous. We know it's scandalous in our time to say you follow Jesus and you believe he rose from the dead. That's a crazy thing to say. And maybe, you know, rightfully so, because it is kind of a crazy thing unless it actually happened. Or maybe it's a crazy thing that happened. Okay, I'm going down a rabbit hole and I'm not going to get myself out of it. But uh, it was just as scandalous then to say you believed in one God as it was for us now. In fact, Christians were called atheists because they didn't believe in all these other kinds of gods. And in reality, like, we should kind of be atheists, maybe not kind of, should definitely be atheists in our time today. Atheists to all other gods that are offered out there, except to Jesus. Now, the main idea of this letter, and I'm not stealing thunder from um, whoever else might be preaching there if it's not me. Um, I'm just going to stick on it for a second. The main idea of this whole letter, if you can narrow it down to one verse, which of course you can't because there's a reason why Paul wrote all these words, but let's say he had to. It'd be chapter 2, verse 6, which is, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. I just can't compete with a siren. doesn't matter. Just as you, this is like, you know, gritty real life, right? We get to hear sirens outside. Uh, just as you receive Jesus, continue to live your life in him, is the main kind of idea of this whole letter. That's the big idea. Just as you received him, continue to live that way. The phrase, continue to live your lives in him, that's actually one word. And there's a lot of words in there to kind of define what that one word is. And that one word uh, references a walk of life, like a way of being. A walk of life is a way of, of living, uh, a way of being that defines and gives meaning to all the other things that we do. So in Christianity, being always precedes doing. What we, we are people first before we do anything. And this is because it's how God works. That's how God is. Now, all of God's actions come from who he is. He doesn't do something in order to be something. He is God and therefore acts in these kind of ways. The same thing for us. And that's why also many of Paul's letters, if you've, if you've ever spent time reading them, follow that kind of format of Paul saying, this is who God is, this is what he's done, therefore this is who you are, and therefore this is how you ought to live. Generally, all Paul's letters are just like that. And it's a walk of life, is what we're going to look at in Colossians, hence walking with Jesus in all life. So if our way isn't formed by Jesus, then when we are given an opportunity to reset, we will one, either just not take it and completely miss out, or two, try and reset it but on our own terms and mess it completely up. This is the reason why we needed a reset to begin with, because we made some problems for ourselves. So let's think maybe for a moment, too. I think we can have like a really rosy-eyed view of what life was like before lockdown. What was life like before lockdown? It wasn't completely amazing. Like, we had mental health issues. We were over busy with work. We probably didn't have uh, you know, strong relationships, and maybe those things are still going on. Our culture had all sorts of issues. Uh, we were focused on our own plans, our own goals. If we had space for God... 
if we did it all, we mostly allowed him to live in those kind of convenient, carved out spaces in our lives and say, please God, stay in that spot. Please no moving from there. Stay, be a good boy. And that kind of living leads to a really small life. It doesn't lead to a big life. It doesn't lead to a life where you really need God to come through for you. But I want something more than that kind of small life, and I think you guys too, which is why we're here together. See, I remember playing um, Nintendo at friends' houses growing up. I just loved playing Nintendo. We didn't have one until it was like super cheap. Um, but my friends did, and those were my best friends, therefore. It's kind of funny how that works out. Um, but if the game went wonky on Nintendo, you, there's a reset button. A little button, you could press it and would reset. Now, that didn't always work. Sometimes you had to cartridge out, and everyone had their own kind of liturgy of, you know, blessing holy water, blowing this way, and like mess with it. I don't know if you've ever messed with that before. Um, but the same thing is true today. Like, my computer, if it's messing up, I'll try and do a few things, but I'll be like, mm, maybe I just need to restart it. And then all of a sudden, the problem goes away because my computer is acting a bit wonky. See, all of us have been through a really, really long reset, a year long reset. And we're very much still in kind of the middle of it now. We will be for a while. Maybe we were a bit wonky before. Or maybe we can see that wonkiness a little bit clearer now. How are we going to make the most of it as we go through a reset? Because a reset's a very Christian thing. It's basically another way to describe what repentance is. We're going down this way. That didn't work out for us. We stop. We reset. We go down a different way. It's repentance. So here's a question for all of you. You can take your, uh, take your phones out with you, and if you're online, you don't need to take your phone out. Just open up another tab. Um, here's a question. Let's go to redeemermcr.com ask. We'll bring this up after the sermon. If you had the opportunity to reset one aspect of your spiritual life, what would it be? So I'll give you guys a couple minutes for that. If you had the opportunity to reset one aspect of your spiritual life, what would it be? What I'm going to do with this, so you're like, oh, how's he going to use this? This is completely confidential. I don't know who sends it because the information is all stripped. It doesn't come through me. Um, and so you could write in whatever you'd want to write in. Um, and after the sermon, I'm going to read them out to see kind of where are we, and then we'll actually pray for it together. So you, you can include your name in that if you want, but you don't have to, and I probably won't even read it anyway. So what would be that one area you would like to reset if you could? So we'll read those in a bit. Um, Don't worry, you can keep on typing along and I'll just assume you're really engaging with the sermon um, instead of scrolling Facebook. So uh, this is really what Colossians is all about. All of Jesus and all of our life. And as we walk with him, with all of him, we get a new level of enjoying life because it's a completely different kind of life with him. And that's what the churchy term of eternal life means. You may have heard that before. It's in our Bibles. It's also like a word that we use often. It means a life, and it's not just like a long life, never-ending. It's a life now that we get that's never-ending upwards, like a joy that's overflowing, everlasting kind of joy, one that transcends whatever can happen in our lives. We get to be continually rooted in what gives life. So, let's get into these verses. How does Paul... Start off talking about this in his first 14 verses. Where is he going? He starts in thanking God for his work in people. and people. We'll, we'll get into those, those thanks. It's a very specific kind of thanks. And he talks about how he prays for them. And lastly, he talks about how all of this is rooted in God's actions. So for us learning today, what we're going to look at is how do we begin a good reset? How do we develop a good walk of life? If we can learn something from this year-long reset, what could it look like to be better humans as we grow? We start in thankfulness, we pray, and we root ourselves in God's actions. So we'll start with that first one. This is how we start. It's how Paul starts. This is teaching us how to start in thankfulness. It's mostly verses 3 through 8. And what we have is Paul thanking God for some really specific things here. 
in, in relaying what he's thanking God for to the church, he's not just praying in private to God. He's praying through a very kind of public way of writing it out. And what this letter was supposed to be was to read in front of the whole church. So Paul is telling these people, this is what I'm thanking God for you about. So he's teaching them kind of what it means to, to be thankful for people. He's encouraging them. He says, this is where you're doing really good. This is where we need to like thank, and thank God for it because it's his work through you. So these verses he talks about um, uh, uh, because you've heard the, uh, because they've heard of their faith in, in Jesus, the love they have for all God's people, faith and love that spring from hope stored up in heaven, the gospel bearing fruit not just within them but the whole world, uh, all sorts of things that Paul is thanking God for. And this is a really kind of short section, but it's really dense, power-packed stuff. If I could maybe break it down a bit, the first thing that he does thank uh, God for for them is faith in Jesus. See, faith is is trust, just relying on Jesus. I mean, at the start of this year, we talked about how faith uh, or trust could also be described as relaxing. Like, relaxing is something that you put all of your weight onto, like a, like a hammock or a chair, like you're just completely relaxed into that thing, and it's, you're trusting that thing is going to hold you up, it's not going to fall. So we all have faith in things, but faith in Jesus is a very, very specific thing. You might hear, maybe you said it yourself, like, you just need to have faith, which maybe is good, or maybe it's not good, because... Just having faith in itself doesn't really do anything. It's all about what you have faith in. If I have faith in something like a, a chair that's going to break, I should not have faith in that chair that's going to break. If I have faith in a really comfortable chair that I know is going to hold me up, well, that's a good faith to have. It's all about the object of where our faith is. We will all have faith, but the thing that makes a difference is what is our faith in? Just faith itself, everyone has it. A good thing makes faith good, and Jesus is the best. So it's really good to have faith in Jesus. So trusting in Jesus above everything else is our only hope to be set right in everything else. Only when we trust Jesus above everything else can we really be set right in all the other areas of life that we're called to. And having faith in Jesus is not a value system. It's not a moral code. It's not, uh, of course, having faith in Jesus will affect your values, will affect your moral code. Having faith in Jesus is not something you do once, get your kind of escape from hell card and kind of move on. Having faith in Jesus does give us a better hope for the future, but it's not just a task list. He's not something you inherit from your family like brown eyes or ginger hair. Having faith is a daily walk with a person, like an actual living relationship because he is a living person. Faith in Jesus is listening to what he says as we read the Bible because these are his words to us. It's not, that doesn't mean it's always easy. We often have to labor over this. Faith in Jesus is daily speaking back to him, praying to him, thanking him, as Paul is doing, enjoying him. Faith in Jesus is inviting him into your whole life because you can't have Jesus and restrict him to one little room. You really can't. That's, a, that's actually a really horrible way to live because you'll always feel like, oh, I'm not really being a full Christian and you'll never kind of be like, I'm not being a full really anything. You can't have faith and only restrict Jesus to some wing of your house. So there's faith uh, in, in Christ, but Paul also thanks God at the church there for the love for people that they have, the love that the, the people in Colossae have. And not just some of God's people, all of God's people. This might be a difficult one, because you're like, yeah, I love people except for that one. Um, I just don't really, if I'm honest, love them, or I don't really like them, or they really great on me, or whatever the thing is. Now, there are some people in the church we like to hang out with, and it makes this really, really easy, and that's great. Um, but there's some people that we don't like as much. Let's just say, like, that's going to be true because it's a collection of people. Um, or we might find it maybe difficult to hang out with them. 
The thing that separates a church from any other community is a supernatural, egalitarian kind of love. All of, all of God's people we love because God loves everybody and we get to have that love same go through us. That doesn't mean we're going to uh, enjoy everybody equally. It doesn't mean we're going to get on with everybody equally. But it does mean a deeper thing, more deeper than that. It means a love for people that we're going to have that doesn't come from us. It comes from Jesus. It means all of us love all of us. That's what it means. It's a difficult thing. Because that doesn't necessarily mean people are going to cease being difficult. But it does mean is this. When the Spirit of God is at work in a church family, we love everyone regardless of whatever their background is, regardless of if it's easy, if it's difficult, whatever they have or don't have, way they speak, or all those things. In the church, we get a joy from living in that way. That's different than any other community that's out there. Paul also thanks God for their source being in the right place. Uh, in verse 5, he says, the source of their faith and their love spring from the hope in the gospel. Not just like their passion or their thoughts or their ideas, but a hope that comes from the gospel. Verse 5 says, uh, uh, this is a, a list of things that Paul's thanking them for. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. See, hope always has a future aspect with a present reality. If it's just some kind of future aspect with no present reality, that's kind of like a pie-in-the-sky hope. That's like a, like a pipe dream kind of hope. But a real hope is going to affect how we live now. It's like if, if, I, if I, it's possible for me to get a promotion at my job, that's a future hope. That means my present reality is going to be different. I'm going to work in a way to get that promotion. That future real possible hope of a promotion means it's going to change my present life now. What we have here in this verse, in verse 5, there's a hope stored up in heaven. That's a future hope. None of us are experiencing that completely yet. And um, Paul will talk more about that as he talks about the kingdom of Jesus, what that looks like. That future hope we have stored in heaven is when heaven ceases to be just in heaven and gets married to earth, when heaven and earth become one, when everything that's broken becomes right, when all that's crooked becomes straight, everything that's wrong gets straightened out. Then all will be made new and all will be well. For Christians, that means life is not an endless cycle going around and around and around. There's a, there's a direction. There's a, a trajectory of we're going somewhere. This is, what we're get, this is what we're working for. So that's in the future because we haven't experienced that yet. But it's not merely like a pipe dream, pie in the sky thing because that future hope, that real hope, affects how we live here today. That's why Paul can say, you've already heard this hope, already heard it in the true message of the gospel. They, they've heard this already in the true message of the gospel a true message of what good news is. This true message of good news is what springs their faith in Jesus and love for other people. Hope that's rooted in that true message of good news changes how we go about our daily lives. It changes how our walk of life can really be the only hope of a reset that we have in this world. And maybe to kind of talk more about how that end frames our present is um, there, there's a film that Woody Allen made in 2004 called Melinda and Melinda. I don't know if anyone has seen this before. It's basically two films in one. It's two films in one that's broken up by this like philosophical discussion between Woody Allen and a bunch of other. I think they're playing poker or something like that. They're on a round table. And the main philosophical question is, what makes a story a comedy or a tragedy? And I, think it's, I believe it's Woody Allen's character uh, giving the philosophical thing of like, it's all about how it ends. If there's a happy ending, 
then all the stuff that happens beforehand becomes a comedy. If it's a sad ending, then all the stuff that happens beforehand, we call that a tragedy. It's all about how it ends, and that's how it informs the present. If the ending is sad, the film will be called a tragedy. If the ending's happy, the film will be called a comedy. The end is what frames the present. So what kind of end do we have as Christians? Is that amazing hope that we have of the world becoming new and, us, and whole and us experiencing that? There's an element where that's the present that we are in now working towards. We're enjoying it in, in bits and pieces and we're working towards it in bits and pieces, but one day we will get there. And the product of all of that, Paul says in verse 6, is... Uh, Oh, wait, is that what the... Oh, yes, bearing fruit in them. Yeah, this is verse 6. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So this little kind of small, measly church in a town that doesn't really matter that much, the gospel is bearing fruit, but it's also going, radiating out. It's bearing fruit throughout the whole world, the whole, especially the whole known world at that point. So what is all this kind of bearing fruit stuff? Because that's another maybe christian language thing. What does that mean? What Paul's talking about is the fruits of the Spirit. Kindness, gentleness, patience, all the kind of goodness, all those kind of things. Everything that happens to us when the Holy Spirit resides in our heart, our lives become different. And that's the kind of fruit that we get to be a part of. People are living here, the way Paul's talking about it, people are living the way the humans were meant to be living. It, it, was, it looked like things are all aligned well here. And all the ways that really we want to live. Who doesn't want to live with more patience? Who doesn't want to live with more joy? This is the way to do that. And not just them. This walk of life is radiating outward like a ripple in a pond. Going out and out and out and out. See, God's work is never meant to end with us. It's never meant to end with us. He gives us too much. It's always meant to be for other people. He always gives us more than we can contain. And that overflow, there's a reason for that overflow. That overflow is for other people. So, as Paul has done, he starts in thankfulness, uh, and then in the next few verses, we see that he prays, and it's a prayer to really continue. It's an ongoing prayer. Just as Paul's thankful for some very specific things. Like these are really specific. Paul apparently knows his church quite well. Um, but he's also praying for things that are quite specific as well in verses 9 through 12. Uh, prayer is important because continuing in this walk of life that Paul just described requires continual prayer. Like in verse 3, he says, uh, we always thank God. In verse 9, he says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. Like, not stopped. And then the next, the next sentence, we continually ask God to do this. This is an ongoing thing. It's not like a, I'll tick it off the, t- the, you know, the, the task list and kind of move on. It's an ongoing thing. Now, after Colossians, after we do the study, as a church, we are going to dig deeper into prayer this year. Kind of like, especially like what kind of things what are other prayers in the Bible? What do they look like? So I think there's a, a rich content of, of prayer that we might miss out on if we don't take a deeper look. But park that for the future. What is Paul talking about here? Well, let's talk about some of the specifics. First, he says that you um, to be filled with the knowledge from the Spirit. This comes from the end of verse 9, where Paul says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Filled with the knowledge from the Spirit. I mean, do you pray for this for yourself? Have you ever prayed for you to have the knowledge of the Spirit to be filled with that wisdom that only the Spirit can give? There's a Spirit, like the wisdom and stuff that the Spirit can give only comes from Him. There's no other place we can find that. I mean, do we, do we pray this for other people? If not, maybe we need to know 
what it actually means before we say we should pray for this. So what, is, what does it mean? Well, the Holy Spirit has things for us to know. Like, there are things that the Holy Spirit knows that He wants us to know. The knowledge of God's will, that's knowing how God wants us to live. That's wisdom. That's understanding. So that means if we aren't filled with the knowledge of the Spirit, there is a wisdom and an understanding that we will never know. We'll miss out on that. I don't want to miss out on that. I, I need as much wisdom and understanding I can get. I don't, want to miss, uh, I don't want those people who I love to miss out on that. I want other people to get this as well. So I think it's really important for us to be praying for each other in this way. I need it. So at the very least, please God, pray for me for it. If we did pray this way more often, here's what we can expect. And this is where Paul goes. First, he talks about purpose. That people can live worthy lives. At the end of verse 9, um, uh, wisdom and understanding for this, that the Spirit gives in verse 10, so that. So that's a, there's a reason he, Paul is praying this. Not just to be filled, to be filled for filled's sake. There's a reason for that. What's the reason, Paul? So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. So that we would live worthy lives. A life that's worthy is one that's filled with meaning. Meaning is it's hard to get. But a worthy life is filled with meaning. There's been no worthy life that's been meaningless. It's always filled with meaning. And when I die... I want to be able to look back at my failures, at my accomplishments, and to have the assurance that it was all worth something, that it was worthy, it was filled, it was weighty. Also, I, I don't want to wait for that until I die. I want to experience that now. I want to be like, actually, yeah, I understand. My life is worthy. I understand how this person's life is worthy if because of these thing, areas that they've followed in. I mean, if you are like me, pray the way that Paul is teaching us here. Pray to be filled with the knowledge of his will, for the wisdom and understanding that only the Holy Spirit gives. And if you pray this way, this is a dangerous thing, because if you pray this way, it will change you. It really will. It will change you. You'll get more out of the Bible when you read it. You'll get more out of gathering with God's people when we're able to. You'll have more to offer to those who are in the faith, to those who aren't in the faith yet. Your life will align more with Jesus than it does now if you pray this way. I guarantee it, because that's what the Spirit does. And Paul actually talks a little bit more about what this looks like at the end of, of verse 10. He says, uh, so this is what it looks like to live a life worthy of the Lord and to please the Lord in every way. Not just so we feel good, but to pre- please a holy God. It, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened uh, with all power according to his glorious might. And also in verse 12, and giving joyful thanks. There's loads of things here. This is all kind of overflowing from a life of prayer, a life of what it means to live in this way. So we have the fruits of the Spirit again, bearing fruit. We already talked about what that is. That means you'll be more patient. You'll have more joy in other people. You'll be kind when it's inconvenient. You'll grow in those areas. But then there's this other thing that I think maybe we can really get right now, which is being strengthened with all the power according to His glorious might so that you have endurance and patience. So we get a power, we get a strength from the Holy Spirit to be able to endure more. I mean, who needs endurance now, right? Please, like, we need some of that. I mean, a new family of five. I think you guys might need a little bit of endurance, right? That strength that we can get, it comes from God. Not from within ourselves. Thank God, because it means we don't have to be everything for everybody all the time. We get to be the kind of incomplete, broken humans as ourselves, and God gets to work through us through the power that only He does. See, the problem, though, most of this, is most of the Christian life is painfully slow. And so patience is something that is not cultivated within us. Patience isn't a high value in our culture. People say it is, but every other area of our life is completely impatient. 
And this is why the Christian life is often called a walk. It's not called a sprint. It's not called like a, uh, you know, any kind of crazy fitness thing. It's not, it's, it's, it's a walk. And that, a walk is slow, unless you're walking with Dominic, and a walk is very fast. I mean, guess I walk with Dominic for He's a fast guy, uh, especially for my little legs. Uh, sometimes, though, we really do want to run, and I get it, because I want to run too. Or we get discouraged that we aren't running fast enough, and it's like, oh, there's something wrong with me. It could be that you're just called to a life of walking, like every other human that's ever existed. And then, though, there's the pressures that this world puts on us, because here's the secular script of Western supremacy, often at odds with the gospel that we're called to live. It says we must do more, we must be faster, we must be everything, and also show it off in a way that can only be unique to you and everyone is going to flock to you. What we really need, though, is the strength and the endurance as people of light over the long haul to, do, to live in these kind of very basic ways. Unless that be kind of a downer of like, oh, it's a slow walk and we need endurance and we need patience, Paul rightfully brings joy into it in verse 12, giving joyful thanks to the Father. A joyful thanks, and this comes from being included in God's family. He's qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people. Who's qualified us? We haven't qualified ourselves. God's qualified us. He's done the work, and we get to be in His family, and that's what allows us to give joyful thanks. A life of prayer has the end product of a life of joy being a part of the church. That's an amazingly simple thing, but also an amazingly profound thing. One thing to remember here also, the only singular part of these verses is when, is when Paul is speaking of Epaphras. Every other you is, or every other verb, it's all plural. It's all you all, or if you're in the American South, y'all. We don't have that we don't, in our translation, sadly. Use guys, you all, wherever you're kind of from in America. Um, everything else is plural. Your faith that yeah, Paul's thanking them about, it's plural. Your love is plural. Your hope is plural. That you be filled. This isn't a singular that you individual will be filled. It's you as the people of God will be filled. Remember, he's talking to a church. He's a group of people. That God has qualified you. He hasn't qualified you individually. He's qualified you as a people to be part of his people. It's a plural thing. Now, none of this is meant to be read in what we come to with our individualistic mindset to the text. This is how the community works together. Community is not an optional aspect of Christianity. Without it, you aren't walking in the way of Jesus. That's clear, like completely clear. And if we aren't acting together, at least in some ways, in praying and reading and sharing burdens and all those kind of things, serving others, if we aren't doing this together, we aren't doing it right, and our lives, our, our experience of Christianity will be shallow. But the good thing is this kind of life, even though it's much easier to do stuff on our own, the life where we bring ourselves into the body leads to joy. That's the kind of life that we get. A joy beyond ourselves, because it comes from outside of ourselves, and we get to experience outside of ourselves if we're in the body. I think this is the craziest thing. God normally works through his people. Why would he do that? Doesn't he know us? Does he, I mean, he knows who I am, and yet still, he's like, no, I want you to be part of this people, and I'm going to work through you. I, the only thing that, I, that makes sense for that is God loves to use the weak to show off his glory and his power to basically put himself more on display, which is amazing. That's the only thing that makes sense to me. Other than that, it does not make any sense to me because surely there are easier ways to do it. That's just how God likes to work. So to the extent that we are part of the church, we're part of that community, that's how we can expect to experience parts of bearing fruit, of being strengthened, of getting that joyful thanks. The two have to be connected. So in looking towards a reset, 
towards a walk of life. We start in thankfulness, we continue in prayer, and lastly, we root ourselves in God's actions. And these are the last two verses here. Last two glorious verses here. Where God says, or where Paul says, for he, who's God, has rescued us, plural again, the church, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This last section, Paul's bringing a bit of history to explain what happens to us when we follow him. In the Exodus, the Israelite, that the Israelites experience, which is in the Old Testament book of Exodus, all the way back here, we're on this side, Paul's talking about what's happened back here. In the Exodus, um, God's people were slaves in Egypt, and uh, he, God frees them. They end up in the wilderness, kind of walking around for 40 years, and eventually God brings them to their home, and they create a nation. They were once slaves, wanderers without their own country, and God brought them into being part of his family and into their own home, basically. Now, amazing as that was, that kind of crazy thing, and there's a whole book and multiple books actually devoted to it, as, ma- as amazing as that is, that's a mere shadow as to what Jesus has done for us, what God has done through his son for us. And so if that was the original Exodus, what Paul is talking about here is the new Exodus. Like That's just a shadow of things to, that um, Christ made real in our lives. But the first thing maybe is, when we talk about being rescued, I just love hearing the shouts in there. Um, I mean, there's not even like loads of kids in there, and yet, yeah, I love it. How many walls are we, yeah. For he's rescued us. To be rescued, I, I hope it's coming through the live stream, but what we're hearing are shouts and screams of kids, rightfully so, because that's how kids are in our meeting room. So just if you're at home, like, what are they talking about? Yeah, kids screaming. Um, okay, let's get back to what, uh, verse 13. For, for God to have rescued us, that means there's some kind of danger, some kind of peril he had to rescue us from. We've been rescued from something, right? That's kind of, otherwise, it's not a rescue. It's just a hangout or something like that. What we've been rescued from are our own issues that we have, our own addictions, our own complacency, our own lack of holy ambition, our own self-centeredness, our, our toxic individualism, our lack of meaning-making, our obsession with freedom that means we don't care for others well, and so much more. So much of that we need to be rescued from. What the Bible does is he uses that historical reality of that old exodus and uses that as like a spiritual representation of our new life in Jesus. So none of us were actually slaves building the pyramids. None of us were there. But we were all enslaved by our own brokenness, born into chains, fashioning chains as well for us. By ourselves, not really worthy of much. Chained in the back of a cave in utter darkness, not knowing which way is up but we've been rescued from that to another kind of life. That's where we start. That's, that's our beginning. And what Paul says is here, we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. That's where we've been coming from, rescued from that dominion of darkness, the place where not only are we in, like, in the dark, but darkness is reigning. It's a dominion. Like it's, 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 uh, it, it, it's heavy and it weighs on us. And that's the thing that's in control is that darkness. And we're in the dark. We can't be sure... What's there to help us? What's there to hurt us? Where do we walk? I don't know. It's completely in the dark. Is this thing okay? I don't know. I'm not sure. Is it going to hurt me? I don't know. And that's where we've been rescued from, to the kingdom, to the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of the Son that God the Father loves. A rescue always includes a from and a to. 
So being rescued from a car crash to a hospital bed, from being rescued from a life without parents to a loving home of people who will care for you, from being rescued to a life on our own to something better and something more. There's always a from and a to when a rescue is concerned. And for those who have faith in Jesus, we've been rescued from darkness to his kingdom. In Jesus' kingdom, the fruits of the Spirit reign. Not, not darkness. Darkness isn't reigning. There's no dominion of darkness there. The fruits of the Spirit is what's reigning. That's what's going forth throughout the whole world. In Jesus' kingdom, the church is a family that loves one another well. In his kingdom, we follow his ways. We don't follow our own ways, as difficult as that is. In his kingdom, our small missions that were so small and narrow and just were basically focused around our own comfort, they get blown wide open as we join God's big mission in this world. In his kingdom, we are no longer held under the water by our addictions. We are free to be our true selves. The burdens that we might have had about how we've let others down in his kingdom, we get the opportunity for a new day. In his kingdom, we take risks that we wouldn't normally have done because we have the power of the Holy Spirit behind us. If, 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 if we have that, we act and live in a different way than we normally would. And in all of this, in these two verses, we humans, were completely passive. He's doing the rescuing. He's doing the from and toing. He's doing all that kind of stuff. He brought us. He gives redemption. He gives forgiveness. The reset we need is rooted in God's actions first. It's not us. We don't scrub ourselves clean and say, oh God, may I pray to you now. It's rooted in God's actions first. The reset that we need is rooted in God's action first. That means our only hope in changing our actions is rooting ourselves in God's first. Rooting who we are in Him, then what we do in Him. We don't try and live a better life out of our own strength. That's not what we do as a church. That's how the world tells us to live. Like, I resolve today to be more patient. Like, how does that go? Maybe it'll last for a day if you're really good at it. It's not going to last much longer than that. We first root our lives in Him. He's made you patient because he's made you new. And the more that you lean on him to come through in his patience, the more you can actually be patient, not just have it an add-on to your life, but actually be that way. And I think in all of this, just please don't try to shortcut God because it never works. We all try and like little shortcuts because walking in this way is long and it can be difficult. Don't try and shortcut God. It never works. I mean, growing up, whenever my dad tried a shortcut in the car, it was always a long cut. Always. We never got there quicker. It was never like, oh, wow, I'm so glad you didn't follow the map, Dad. It was always like, why did we not follow the map? If you listened to the map, we would have arrived. And also, without all the stress and the hassle that would have happened beforehand. But we do the same thing. We want everything now. We want to shortcut God in the way that he's called us to live. Um, Arcade Fire, which is one of my favorite bands, released an album a few years back titled Everything Now. The title's track chorus has a section, everything now, I want it, everything now, I can't live without. Everything now, that's what we want. If we had the option to have everything now, we would. And to the extent that we have that ability, we do. Because we live in an everything now kind of world. This is not good for us as human beings. And these people are not Christians. And yet these are lines in their song, it goes like this, I think it's the last lines. The ashes of everything now, and then you're black again, full of ash, can't make it back again from everything now. We will lose ourselves as we chase everything now. We will. We need our Father to rescue us from that dominion of everything now, which is darkness, and bring us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. What a loving act for God to do. That is amazing. And it's out of this loving act that Paul has given us the map for a reset. 
Let's not try and shortcut it, which will end up being a long cut, I guarantee you. But let's lay out, let's walk in the way that Paul has told us to, told us to go. He's laying out what this walk of life with Jesus looks like here. Don't go around, you know, um, missing the best bits of being alive. Let's go through this together. From the beginning, God had a plan, and it always involved the Father and the Son and the Spirit working together in concert. The Father had a plan before time itself. He put everything into, into motion. He would send his Son to rescue us because without him breaking into our world, we can only expect to make a mess of it because we're in that dominion of darkness. The Son came to earth, lived for us, died for us, rose again for us, and is now, right now, even as we're sitting here, praying for us. Praying that we would not shortcut him, that we would walk in the way that he calls us to. The only way we can begin to do any of this is through the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because there can be a Christian version of modern's going to do better, of like, I'm going to try harder to follow Jesus, and I'm glad you want to, but without the Holy Spirit working through you, it will not work. We have to rely on the Spirit, not just for the ends, but also for the means of how we get there. And this happens really like one long step, one action that we initially take that continues to be an action over and over and over again. The first part is that we surrender. For all of us who were, uh, for all of us, for all who he is, we surrender. This is not easy. It's not convenient. It's not meant to be convenient. It's not meant to be easy. But we look to Jesus and we say, I surrender to you. That's the first step. The first time we do that, we are changed. The first time we do that, the Holy Spirit comes, resides in us, and allows us to live in these ways that Paul's talking about here. We get to live like life to the full. The second part of that first step is we keep on doing that. We keep on saying, thank you, Holy Spirit, for being in me. As I surrender, I keep on surrendering because the Christian life is full of finding out, oh man, I need to surrender to that. Oh man, I'm stumbling over this. Oh man, this feels like a roadblock. I need to surrender to that. And that means once we have the Spirit, which we will always have the Spirit once we have the Spirit, we can have this faith, this love, and this hope. We can pray. We can know God's will. We can live out of His rescue but only if we keep relying on the Spirit, only to the extent that we keep relying on the Spirit. And that's how we do a reset. This is what the Christian walk of life looks like. We start in thankfulness, we pray to continue, and we root ourselves in God's actions. If we were to do that every day, which we need to, it, we would, it, it would change us. Our lives would change. 